And before we get into the word tonight, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to give opportunity for two of you to come up and share. That's why I brought this mic here and to share a testimony of something that God is currently uh, doing in your life. And so let me read uh, Revelations 4, and it speaks of uh, the power of a testimony in our lives. It says that they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And so it's what happens in our lives when God has met some financial needs, or maybe you're at that point where you're like, I didn't know how I was going to get through the month, and then I found a check in the mailbox, and I want to give God praise for that. Or, or sometimes it's not even that the outcome is good, but I got this difficult news that I am terminal with cancer, and this is how God has met me in the midst of this. Or this was a difficulty that I had with one of my children, and this is what the Lord is showing me, or this is how my prodigal child came home. But it's some specifics of what God has done uh, in your life. And so let me share just a few parameters. As First is it needs to be brief, okay? And so I'm going to be standing here next to you, and if I tap you on the shoulder, that's a loving nudge that you're running out of time, Okay. And then I would please ask that this would be spirit-led, that you would just begin to pray right now if the Lord wants you to come up and share. Maybe uh, you have the gift of talking. Maybe you're not supposed to share. Just because you normally always get up and you like to talk, that may not be the Holy Spirit telling you that you're supposed to come up and talk, okay? So don't let that be the deciding factor. But then also don't let it be the deciding factor that you hate to talk, okay? Because It's not about you, all right? We'll just set that aside. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. And if God wants you to come and share a brief testimony of something that he's currently done uh, in your life and to give glory uh, to him. And then most importantly is it's to give honor to Jesus. This is a time to boast and brag about Jesus, not to to point to ourselves. So I'm going to pray. You pray with me. If you're supposed to to come up, I'm going to give opportunity for two of you uh, to, to come on up and then share what God's doing in your life, and then we'll get into the Word. I've never had your guys' attention like this. This is amazing. You guys are... And if no one comes up, I'm going to call you up. No, I'm just, I'm serious. I might do that. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your love for us. We, we thank you that we can share testimony of what you're currently doing in our lives. And right now, Holy Spirit, would you speak to, to the hearts of those that are supposed to come and share of what you're currently doing? God, would you show them specifically, Father? So would you bless this time? In Jesus' name, amen. So if that's you, just stand up where you are and come right up here and stand behind this little podium and we'll let you share. So it's a long walk from here to there, so it's a lot of courage for him to... Nobody's looking at you right now. Nobody. <laughs> so if you don't mind, uh, just tell us your name and it'd be great. Uh, so my name is Jesse, and um, for the past couple of years, I've been struggling with a severe drug addiction, and uh, last year was a culmination where I was about to lose my marriage, my family, um, and everything, and uh, the Lord intervened in my life, and he got me sober. 
And now I have been clean for almost a year and a half, and uh, I am doing very well, and I'm actually went back to school to become a counselor for drug addiction, and I'm helping others get over their addictions. So, Awesome. That's great. Praise the Lord. Can we pray for you? Sure. God, we just thank you for Jesse. Thank you for him getting up here tonight and just sharing what you've done in his life. And Jesus, we thank you that you're stronger than addiction, Father, and you broke that at the cross and your death and resurrection. And we just want to celebrate with Jesse tonight, and we just pray you continue to bless him, Lord, protect him, and just use him. Lord, we pray you'd use him in many people's life to point him to Jesus. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Thanks. Jesse. First off, I have to apologize because I'm very bad in front of people, so my <laughs> voice is probably going to shake. Uh, I'm like Jesse. Um, a year ago, my husband and I, uh, we've been married right over three years. We have a blended family. We have my daughter, his two sons, his daughter. Uh, it can be very complicated. A year ago, uh, on top of my ongoing alcohol and opiate addiction, we weren't even living together. Um, both of us many times have just been ready to throw in the towel. Three months ago, I overdosed on vodka and tramadol. My husband, my precious Jim, stayed by my side and loved me just like Jesus does. We moved back in together because we are convinced we are supposed to be together. God put us together for a reason and that we have to love like he loved, show the same patience. We got in a fight tonight on the way to church over our kids, but we still came. I love you so much and I know that God wants us to be together. I love you so much, Jim. God has done this to us. We're supposed to be together. That's, sounds good. Let's pray for you. Tell me your name. Jasmine. Jasmine? Mm -hmm. Okay. Father, we just thank you for Jasmine. We thank you for her courage to get up and share tonight. And Lord, we thank you that you're the God of restoration, Lord, and, and you rebuild. And Lord, we just pray over her in Jesus' name that you would strengthen her, that you would bless her. Lord, we thank you for what a victory that it is that her and her husband are here tonight, God, and we celebrate that and look forward to your promise that you started a good work and you're going to complete it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. <laughs> God's good, and you know, I just encourage you and uh, those things that happen in your life to take note, to write them down, to share them uh, with those that you're around, believers and, and unbelievers. Because as we're studying in the book of Acts, it's what shows people that God's real and that he's working in behalf of uh, our lives. And then also to remember as you come into church uh, week after week here at RMC, there's a lot going on in everybody's life, you know, and to take the time to follow the leading of this Holy Spirit, to look into people's eyes, to really genuinely ask them how they're doing, because uh, it's, a, it's a crazy world out there, and it's also a crazy world in here, inside of our hearts, and the challenges that we, we all uh, face, and, and the ministry that God wants to do one with another. So uh, let's pray. Father, as we open up your word tonight, we just ask that you'd speak to us. We're this, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, you don't change. 
And Lord, as you worked in the city of Ephesus, we pray that you would work in in this city, in Colorado Springs, and turn many people to you. And Lord, that you would also work in, in the cities throughout the country and throughout the world. So we look to you and pray you bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 19. Paul goes to Ephesus and he begins to share there and we see God do a a powerful work in this city. So verse 1 of Acts 19, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. And last week we spent one whole study on chapter 1. We really laid the foundation of this city of Ephesus. And just a quick review, Ephesus is on the Mediterranean in what is modern-day Turkey. So you just go up the road from Israel to Syria to Turkey, and you will find Ephesus. A large city, lots of idolatry, lots of intellectualism, a large ancient library, lots of sexual sin, a city that needed to be touched by the love of God. It was a Roman colony, and Paul comes here to Ephesus. And when you study the epistle of Ephesians, it's Paul writing back to this church. It became a very dear church to the Apostle Paul. When he first arrives in Ephesus, he finds some disciples. He's looking for people that are following Jesus Christ. So verse 2, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Obviously, this group has a belief But there's something missing in their lives, and Paul discerns what it is. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit amongst this group of people. And we don't know what the specifics were about this group that caused Paul to say, what's missing? What's wrong? It's the Holy Spirit. Was there a lack of love? Was there a lack of joy? Was there a lack of peace? Was there a lack of power? But he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed. It caused me to think, if someone was observing my life, would they say the same thing? You know, there's something missing there. There there isn't the evidence of the Holy Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit that's freely flowing through your life. The response that they give back is interesting in verse 2. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So here's this group of disciples, and they're saying, We don't even know about the Holy Spirit. We haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you find yourself in that place. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You have faith in in Jesus Christ, but you're like, I'm not so sure what this Holy Spirit is. I hear sometimes people saying, Holy Ghost, and that kind of freaks me out. And is it this ghost that wants to come into my life? You know, no thank you. Is this some kind of Halloween film or something that I should trust? I, I don't know. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, meaning that there's three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but yet one God. And the Holy Spirit is God. And Jesus told us when he taught the disciples in John 14 through 16 that another is going to come, your comforter and your helper. This word helper in the Greek is parakletus. It's one who comes alongside to help. The Christian life cannot be lived apart from the Holy Spirit. I'm sure we've all experienced that. We've got good intentions. We've been touched. We want to follow. We we want to obey. But we don't have the power in and of ourselves to fulfill God's command. And so it's the Spirit of God that gives us the power to live out the Christian life. 
So Paul now instructs them more about the Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. So so you guys were baptized. Well, what were you baptized into? And they said, John the Baptist baptism. Paul goes on in verse 4, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Many came to John the Baptist to be baptized. They came out into the wilderness, and John's baptism was one of repentance. And there's several different baptisms represented in Scripture, so you can get a little bit confused. And what John was saying is you need to understand that you're a sinner and that you're turning away from your sin, that you're ready for your life to change. It's a change of mind and a change of direction. He was preparing the way for Jesus Christ, where people's hearts would be ready for the Savior, saying, look forward to Christ's coming. And that's what this group of disciples were baptized into, with an understanding that I'm a sinner and that a Savior is coming, but not yet having the full understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. So verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of Jesus. So at this point, they're ready to receive Christ as their Savior. They know they're sinners. They're looking for the answer. They're looking for their Savior, and they're baptized in Jesus Christ. The most important thing is faith in Christ, that he's God, that he died for your sins and rose again, submitting lordship to Christ, surrendering to Jesus Christ. Then baptism, water baptism, is that public declaration that your life belongs to Jesus Christ. It represents what God has already done for you. It's an outward expression of the inward reality. When you receive Christ as your savior, your old man, You know, not your father, but your sinful nature is buried with Christ and you're risen in newness of life. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what baptism represents. Here in a few weeks when we're out at America, the beautiful park, we're going to have opportunity to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And if you've never done that and you know Christ is your savior, it's powerful. It doesn't save you, but Jesus asked you to be baptized. It's your public declaration that your life belongs to Jesus Christ. So this group is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They've put their faith in Jesus Christ. Notice what happens in verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in awe. As we've been studying the book of Acts, there's no pattern to when the Holy Spirit comes upon believers. God does it at different times and in different ways. And a lot of times we want to have a pattern for how the Holy Spirit is going to work in our lives. I don't want to have any confusion on this. Let's look first at what happens in our text. We see genuine faith in Jesus Christ, baptized in the name of Jesus. Paul prays for them. He lays his hands on them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, what's speaking in tongues? As we look through throughout the scripture, it's when words fail, and it's always directed towards the Lord. It's praise unto the Lord. So they began to speak in these tongues that were given to them, but then they also prophesied. And prophecy would be a known language. It would be, you know, they were speaking in an understanding way, and they're prophesying. And prophesying is not just foretelling the future, 
but it's also forth telling the word of God. It's proclaiming the word of God and also proclaiming the future. And the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in our lives in different ways. Do all people speak in tongues? No. The Holy Spirit will move in some people's lives to give them the gift of tongues. Do all prophesy? No. Do all have the gift of teaching? No. So the Spirit of God will be manifested in different ways, but will be evident in this one thing, love. That's the true evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And a lot of people get caught up in the tongues, caught up in the prophecy. We don't want to despise tongues. We don't want to despise prophecy. But the real evidence is going to be love. And as we look at this group of 12 and what their life was like before this moment, in this interaction with Paul, they come to understand that Christ is the Messiah. They're baptized in the name of Jesus. Now they experience the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I think is the application and instruction for us as believers is one, is we need to understand that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the coming upon of the Holy Spirit and to ask God for this and to wait for this in our lives. There shouldn't be anything of the Spirit that we wouldn't desire. God, I desire everything of the Spirit. Anything that you desire to give to me, I know you're good. I know you give good gifts, so I'm open to it. Then also, we need the continual feeling of the Holy Spirit because we're leaky vessels. We leak, don't we? We're walking in a dirty world. We struggle with our own flesh. And it's not just a one-time experience with the Holy Spirit that God then fills us for all of our days, but it's continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. God, I need you today. Empty me of myself. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want your spirit to have free reign in and through my life. Always more understanding of this. But if you're resisting this in your walk with the Lord, you're going to miss out on the power that God has for you. Because it's only through, through the Holy Spirit. It's when we get to that place of dependency and faith that God wants to work through the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is people that are surrendered to the Spirit. They're walking in the Spirit. It wasn't man's strategies. It wasn't man's ideas. It wasn't, how can we make this happen? It was, Jesus, I'm in love with you. I'm submitted to the Spirit. God, what would you have for me today? And I've said this before, but I believe it with all my heart. The Holy Spirit can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime. So when you look at people that have been used by God, it's truly that. They're used by God. They realize that God can do more than I can do, and I want to surrender to and submit to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit might be saying, hey, there's something going on with one of your kids. You need to ask them this. See that coworker over there? They, they need you to stop and listen. They need you to, to encourage them. You know, you need to go to Africa. I want you to go on the next missions trip. No, not me, Lord. I don't go to Africa. You get the idea. Whether it's Africa or across the street, Lord, what are you doing? I want to follow your leading. In verse 8, And when he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Paul's pattern is to go to the synagogue because he knew he would have an opportunity to share the scriptures and to reason. At the end of every service, they would open it up for someone who wanted to share. 
This is where the resistance always comes from Paul, if you've been studying with us throughout Acts. If I'm Paul coming to Ephesus, I'm not going to the synagogue. <laughs> it's like, I've got, I've got this down. I go to the synagogue, then I get death threats. I go to the synagogue, then they beat me. Then they stone me. Let's just leave the whole synagogue out of the equation. But Paul shows real boldness here, doesn't he? He's really determined to follow what the Lord had put on his heart, even though it's difficult. In verse 9, But some were hardened and didn't believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. As some were hearing the gospel and hearing it explained and articulated, their hearts were hardened and they didn't believe. They take the next step and they speak evil of the way. Now that's Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These early group of believers were referred to as the way even more than Christians. The name Christian was a mocking, ridicule name that was given to them and it stuck. But how the book of Acts refers to the church primarily is the way. It's their association with Jesus Christ. He is the way. What I love about that is Jesus is not a way. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations saying, okay, this is what I I want you to do. I want you to go straight, take a right, take a left, obey this, obey that. And if you do all of these things, then you'll, you'll have everlasting life. It's not a manual. It's Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus says, believe in me and I'll take you to heaven. I, I'm the way. Believe in me and I'll get you through, through life. It's the way. They spoke evil of the way before the multitude. So they're ridiculing Christ and the church publicly. What does Paul do? He departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Paul does what Jesus taught, is there is a time to move on. When someone's heart is hard, you have to move on to someone who has an open heart to hear. So now Paul is reasoning every day, teaching every day in the school of Tyrannus. Now we don't know a lot about this school, but apparently it was a place of education that opened up their lecture hall, a classroom, if you would, to the Apostle Paul to come and teach. There was a Greek manuscript that was found about the school of Tyrannus that they were open from 11 to 4 for, for education when normally people would be taking their siesta. Some cultures have a siesta built into the middle of the workday. Wouldn't that be nice? It'd be great to build that into to, to our culture. And so during this time when you would take a break, people could come to the school of Tyrannus and they could learn about the things of God. We know from later on in Acts that Paul labored with his own hands during this time. And so when he wasn't teaching at the school, he was building tents to provide for his needs. So he was working hard, working hard all day long, working hard to teach in this school. In verse 10, and this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So for two years, he's there discipling and, and teaching. And this is really where we kind of get the idea for our school discipleship that meets on Tuesday nights. The reason it meets on Tuesday nights is so you can work. You know, we know we've all, we've all got to work. And so it's at a time when 
after work hours from 6 to about 9.30, you can come and take classes here at the church from, from the pastors. And it's a two-year two program. And notice what happens with Paul's school of discipleship is there's multiplication. So that all were who were in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jews and Greeks. So it wasn't that Paul went all the way through Asia, but the people that he was discipling did. And this is multiplication. You invest in one, you invest in two, you invest in four, and they go out and, and invest. And hopefully as we're learning God's word right here in this place, is it doesn't stay here. That we're taking our Bibles and we're going out and sharing it with someone else. One of the real privileges about teaching God's word is you learn it a lot better than you would any other way. It's a real blessing. And the same will happen in your life as well as you come in and you take notes and you say, I want to learn Acts 19 so I can share it with someone else. God, give me one nugget so that I can go and share that with someone else. Help me learn it in my life, apply it, and then be able to share it. And God's work just begins to multiply. In verse 11, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Have you noticed about God, he doesn't live in a box as soon as you put God in a box, he likes to break it, right? And God does some unusual miracles through the hands of Paul. Verse 12, so that, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the disease left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So handkerchiefs and aprons brought to those who were diseased and also those who had evil spirits, and they were, went out of them. And this is an unusual miracle. We don't see this in other places. Why handkerchiefs or, or aprons? It could be because this is what Paul was using as he was laboring in love to be in Ephesus. As he was building tents, his handkerchief would get sweaty. His apron that he would have on would, would get sweaty. And then he would go and they would take this to those who were diseased or possessed by demons and God would deliver them and heal them. But notice what scripture says here. This is an unusual miracle that we don't see duplicated. So if you're watching Christian TV and someone gets on there and says, I've got my holy hanky, I've got my holy apron, and if you want to be healed, send in $50 and you will get your own holy hanky or apron. I often wonder, did you use the hanky before you're sending it to me? I hope not, right? I don't want any holy boogers sent to me for $50, right? And so there's these people that are well-intending that send in this money thinking, well, if I get this apron or I get this handkerchief and I touch it in faith that, that I'm going to be healed. And we don't see Paul teaching this or instructing this. This was a unique miracle that God did at this time to glorify Jesus Christ. Now, at this point in the Bible study, I've got to pick on Chance a little bit, our worship pastor. Have you guys noticed what he always has in his back pocket? He's got a hanky, right? He's got his own little holy hanky. And I like to tease him about his hanky. Like, why are, you, why are you carrying around that hanky? But I just want you to know, it is a full purpose hanky. It's not, it's not just a style hanky. You know, if someone spills a Coke, he whips out his hanky and he wipes it up. And yes, I've seen him blow his nose with that hanky, stick it back in his pocket and then fluff it out. But would you please let me know if he starts trying to sell those? Okay. <laughs> We'll, we'll reel them in and say, hey, can't be doing that. 
Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. So we have a group here. The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who go, this is working. This is working. Paul is casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. People demon-possessed, set free. We're going to try this. This is going to work well for us. Maybe thinking it would give them some power, some prestige, some prominence, maybe, maybe some money. So they begin trying to cast out demons in the name of, of Jesus Christ. And verse 15, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul are no, I know, but who are you? This might be a good time to run. <laughs> verse 16, Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. These guys get their clothes stripped off of them. They get beat up. They get wounded by this demon-possessed man. What's the lesson here? Christ is not something that can be used without relationship and surrender to who he is. Paul was able to cast out demons in the name of Jesus Christ because Jesus was his Lord. And he was in relationship with Jesus Christ. He was in submission to Jesus Christ. He wasn't just trying to use Jesus as some new good luck charm, some new powerful thing that has, has come in without relationship with Jesus and submission to Jesus. They're faking it. These guys are counterfeits. And the demons could sense a counterfeit in a moment, couldn't they? And sometimes we want to kind of fake it till we make it, you know? And we see someone else being, being used by the Lord and we go, hey, that's pretty cool. I want to be, be used by the Lord and we don't do the hard work of pressing into relationship with God and submission to him. And then we say, I'm just going to copy that. I'm going to fake it till, till I make it. But you can sense that, can't you? And ultimately, people can see through that. The enemy can see through that. And people get beat up. They, they get wounded. Much more God's intent and desire is for us to seek him in relationship, to submit to him, and allow him to use us in an authentic and genuine way. There's no power outside of Jesus. Just using God's name with no relationship and submission, these men brutally get beat up. In verse 17, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and the fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. This is awesome. God uses some counterfeit exorcists for his glory. This gets the attention of the whole city of Ephesus, Jews and Greeks. It was cross-cultural, and fear fell on them all. All of a sudden, there was this idea of, well, you better not fake it. You better not just throw around the name of Jesus as some kind of good luck charm. And then most importantly, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. This is why God did the unusual miracles with the aprons and the handkerchiefs. This is why God allowed these counterfeits to be exposed so that the name of Jesus Christ would, would be magnified. Hey, let's pray this for Colorado Springs. That fear would fall on them all and the name of Jesus would be magnified. That's what our city needs. That there would be an awe and a respect for Jesus Christ. 
that he's not a cuss word, he's not a name that you can just use in vain, he's not something that you can just try to throw out there to get something that you want, he's God, and that he would be magnified, the name of Jesus would, would be magnified. Ephesus is very similar to Colorado Springs and cities throughout the United States and the world. What we need to be praying for Colorado Springs, praying for our country and our world is that Christ would be magnified. What if there was something that would happen in pockets of our city or even in the totality of our city that would magnify Christ in such a way where it got the attention of the city? Where the city was humbled and they went, wow, Christ is real. Christ is no joke. He, he was magnified. Notice what happens when Jesus is magnified, when people see Jesus more clearly. In verse 18, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. This wasn't forced, gang. It wasn't some preacher getting up saying, you know, you need to believe and you need to get right with God and you need to confess your sin and the rebellion in your life. They saw Jesus. They were mag- Jesus was magnified. And they believed. And with that belief in Christ, then came this desire to want to be right with Christ. And they just began to come broken and come confessing. There's always something unique that's happening in our lives when we confess before we're busted. It's one thing to confess when you're busted, and that's good too. Now, the, the Lord's gracious. But it's far greater before you're busted. It's far greater before you get caught and you get exposed and the Holy Spirit's just working in your life and you're going, I gotta get right with God. I need to tell somebody. I need to make sure my spouse knows. I need to share with some brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what's going on in my life. I can't do this alone. I need to bring it out into the light. The enemy always wants us to keep in isolation with our struggles and our sin. Thinking, oh, you're the only one that struggles with this. If you tell another believer they're going to condemn you, they're going to treat you like the black plague, we believe that and we don't share and we don't share. Because Satan knows the breakthrough that's going to happen in our lives when we do share. Amen? Amen. If you've ever known the sweetness that comes from confession, it's beautiful. Open up and you say, God, here I am. Open up with some brothers and sisters in Christ. James 5 tells us when someone does confess their faults to us, we're to pray for them. We're not trying to fix them. We don't take, take them through our counseling steps. We're to pray for them that God would bring healing. That's our job. We listen and we pray and ask that the Lord would do that work that he intends in their lives. Cool stuff. Check out verse 19. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So you can see the demonic realm that's in the city of Ephesus. The demon possession, these books of magic were books of witchcraft. Maybe it looked something like Manitou Springs when you walk through those streets, and you look through the title of the books, and you can see the, the demonic realm and the demonic activity that, that has taken place. And again, this is not something that's forced or coached. Christ is in their life. Christ is magnified. And they go home and they go, I don't think these books fit with my life for Christ. I realize he's died for me. He rose again. He purchased me. I belong to Jesus Christ. So these books have to go. Maybe it just started to spread organically. Maybe he got out on Facebook or, or Twitter. Maybe they went door to door. They said, 
hey, you know what? I, I've got these trashy books in my home. Do you have any of those? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm done hiding. I got some of those as well. Hey, what do you think? Sunday night, let's all get together and let's have a bonfire and let's just burn these books in the name of Jesus Christ. See, because if these books were bad for them, they couldn't sell them on Craigslist because then it's just bad for somebody else, right? They're just passing on wickedness to, to someone else. It was time for it to go. And as Christ is magnified in your life, is there something that he wants you to burn, that he wants you to break, that you're like, you know, this just doesn't fit with my life with Christ. It's the exact opposite of who Christ is. It brings bondage into my life. You say, man, it's, it's got to go. Right, Lord, today's the day. Now's the time. I've always found in my life, immediate obedience is always easier. If I wait a week, I'll usually talk myself out of it. And maybe the Holy Spirit's putting something on your life in your heart. You're going, you know, this just isn't right. It isn't fitting for me as a believer. Take action tonight. Go for it. Don't wait and say, this has got to go. It's time for it to be burned. It's time to be broken. It's time for me to see the Lord work. Christ has been become more important than financial gain. The books valued 50,000 pieces of silver, but they don't care. They want to be close to Christ. In verse 20, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Biblical literacy does not equal biblical maturity. That's a quote from a pastor by the last name of Tripp. Now, if your last name's Tripp and you're a pastor, that's pretty far out because it's Pastor Tripp, right? So, but it's a great quote that biblical literacy does not equal biblical maturity. And you may know the Bible inside and out. You could teach the book of the Acts better than I can. You know it. You know the history. You knew everything that I was going to say about the city of Ephesus. After we get done with Acts, we'll go into the book of Romans, Lord willing. You've got the outline down for the first five chapters of, of Romans. You know it. I know it. But it doesn't necessarily mean biblical maturity because if we're not acting upon the word of God. And it says the word grew mightily. It grew in power in their life in a transforming way. Notice the order. It came, Christ is magnified. And with Christ being magnified, he's the light. So the darkness gets exposed. Start being honest about the, the darkness in our lives. Just begin to share it with the Lord and share it with others. Then that leads to some things got to go. Some things need to be broke. They, they need to be turn, turned away from. Now we've got this fertile soil for the word. Now we've got this condition where maturity can happen. It's not just encyclopedia Bible knowledge. It's not just being able to win Bible jeopardy. It's not a strong mind with a heart disease. It's a heart that's transformed by the love of God and a mind that's living outside of that. Do you see the difference? And what is it maybe in our lives that's preventing the word of God from growing mightily? God's saying, the problem's not with the word. The problem's with my soil inside of here. And the junk's got to go first. It's got to be burned. It's got to be forsaken. It's got to be confessed. Then the word of God can grow mightily in our lives. Think about the power of a seed. There's so much in a seed. Just this little seed that's planted in the soil 
and God does the rest. The most perfect seed in all the universe is the power of the word of God. There's nothing wrong with the word of God. And as we allow the Lord to weed those things out of our lives, then God's word can grow mightily in and through us. We're going to pause here and stop. I don't want to rush through the second half of the chapter. You can read ahead and see the riot that takes place there in Ephesus in the amphitheater. They have ruins of the amphitheater. It's this huge, massive piece of work. The conclusion is this. Am I missing the power of the Holy Spirit? Would Paul come and say, hey, there's something missing in your life. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, good news tonight. We can cry out to the Lord and say, God, would you fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit? When was the last time that you prayed, Jesus, please baptize me in the Spirit. Immerse me in the Spirit. I need your living water. I I can't do this on my own. He delights to give good gifts. Am I desiring the power of God without the relationship with God, the sons of Sceva? They wanted the power of God, but they weren't in relationship with God. And then allow Christ to be magnified. That's most important. As we take communion tonight, think about his broken body. It was actually for you. It was for you. His body was broken so that you could be made whole. His blood was shed so that you could be forgiven. In worship, we sang of the power of the blood of Jesus. And just sit here for a while in God's presence, meditating upon what Christ has done. And as he's lifted up and as he's magnified, just allow confession to begin to flow from our hearts and our lives. Why do we hold it so tight? Why do we pretend that we don't have struggles with sin? Let it go. Agree with God tonight. That's all that confession is. God, you're right. This is wrong. This hurts your heart. This doesn't have a place in my life. And then go the next step. After you talk with the Lord, turn to somebody that is close by or pick up the phone on your way home in your car and say, you know what? Can I share this with you? I've really been struggling with this. And could you please pray for me? And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find freedom. And you're probably going to find some really good friends. Because as you open up in that way, people are going to rally around you and say, oh man, I would love to pray for you in that. I'd love to come alongside of you in that. If you get one of those phone calls or you have one of those conversations, just don't go into fix-it mode. Go into prayer mode. Really take it seriously and say, I'm going to pray for them. They opened up a part of my heart. But before we go tonight, Christ being magnified is this. Jesus loves you. He loves you. These people didn't have it all together before they came into the family of God. They came into the family of God with witchcraft books at home. You know what I'm saying? And then they knew the love of God and they said, this doesn't have any place in my heart and my life. Sometimes I think we get the cart before the horse, don't we? It's his love, it's his broken body, it's his shed blood, it's him being magnified. Let's pray together.